We live inside a dream. In the words of Jay-Z, I'm not an elephant, man. I'm an elephant, man. <laughs> Welcome to Stan and Dave Need Wedding Dates with your two favorite wimps who like Kubrick and Lynch. My name is Eric Keppel. And my name is Jeremy Schmidt. Hello. Thank you for joining us today on this very joyous occasion. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a real uh, fun-packed episode. Uh, you're... You're probably riding high on just like the positive vibes of uh, David Lynch's The Elephant Man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You pro- I'm assuming uh, you, you planned like a whole party around it where, mm-hmm. you, where you and your buddies got together and just kind of like celebrated the, uh, all of the joy uh, uh, that comes out of, uh, of watching that film. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll dive into it. I, uh, we're uh, talking... I- I at my Thanksgiving this year, I I loudly announced, "Do you know what I'm thankful for? A normal head." And then I <laughs> put on the Elephant Man for everyone to watch. Yeah. How did your How did the Schmidt uh, family react to that? They didn't understand why I was being so loud and disruptive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it was. Um, how's your Thanksgiving, by the way? How was your holiday? It was good. It was good. I it, it was kind of like business as usual, just like hanging out with the family. I fucking love Thanksgiving. It's yeah, like great. it's so good. Um, I I hesitate to say this, but I do think it might be the ultimate holiday. Mm. But strictly because it like always uh, results in a four day weekend. Yeah, like Christmas this year is on a Wednesday, which is like annoying and dumb. Oh, because you have to go back uh, to work the day after? I think so, yeah. yeah. Or like a lot of people do. But Thanksgiving, you know what you're getting. You get the big holiday uh, where you just eat like shit. Mm-hmm. And then you have three days after that. And like yeah. one of the days is like uh, cr- crazy people can go out and just like beat the shit out of each other at a Best Buy to save like 40% <laughs> on, a, on a Blu-ray player. Did which, you by go the way, out? Almost... Did, you, did you do a, a, a Black Friday? <sighs> I was, uh, I didn't do, I was at a Target like later that day when things yeah. had died down. I, I almost bought a Blu-ray player. I am going to, uh, in within the next month or two, because they're, they're releasing like a whole new Twin Peaks Blu-ray set Ooh. that is all three seasons, including Fire Walk With Me and like six hours of behind the scenes footage and Jeez. like all these insane features. Um, so I will be purchasing that eventually, but the price wasn't right. The price, uh, <laughs> was not right. Quite can I yet. ask, what does a Blu-ray player go for? Because you can buy a PlayStation four for a couple hundred bucks and that gives you a whole game console plus a Blu-ray player. So, so the one that I was looking at and, uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know. Like I never even really knew the difference between like low level and high level DVD players, but, the one that I was looking at was the cheapest, and it was on sale for like 
sixty dollars or something. Oh, okay, that's yeah, yeah, that's not bad. But eBay has them for like forty five dollars, so I yeah, think I think I'm gonna go that route. But you gotta get like you gotta put up with the fact that it's covered in somebody's pee pee. You know? <laughs> right. That is the weird thing about eBay. Yeah. Is bay is as they call P-bay. it. P-bay. It's always, everything's covered in pee-pee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of covered in pee-pee, Jeremy, <laughs> our fans, we have, I don't know if you saw this, I, I, uh, we did like a little, another one of our fun little like retweet, uh, challenges. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to call it on the, on the, on the website yesterday. Uh, on the so website said, Twitter, <laughs> yeah, the website Twitter, and right. whoever whoever retweeted the post, uh, I said that we would sh- give them a shout out on the show and tell them uh, which David Lynch movie they belong in. Okay. Uh, so we're just gonna go back and forth, just real quick. Uh, Valerie, huge shout out to Valerie at Stealing Valerie. Uh, I follow Valerie, very good follow. Uh, she's very fashionable. I'm gonna say she belongs at the. Uh, I forget the name of the high school in Twin Peaks, but uh, <laughs> Twin Peaks High, maybe <laughs> I don't know. But uh, she she belongs as one of the one of those uh, kids over there in uh, Firewalk with me. Oh, great, great. Uh, next, we have Brian Horton. Jeremy, you want to? Oh yeah. Pick whip. Well, Brian Horton obviously belongs in. He's sitting in the audience watching that lady from Eraserhead do her weird song. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. Because his response to this tweet, by the way, was he said, after watching Eraserhead, this seems like more of a threat than a promise. <laughs> <So> <laughs> Very funny. Yeah, he's uh, he's really getting a kick out of those little sperm spermacidal <laughs> uh, things getting squished. <laughs> take that, Horton. Yeah, take uh, that, Horton. Tina Ann, I'm going to say Tina Ann, know nothing about this person uh, from Cleveland. I'm going to say Tina, Tina should be in like a, like a blue velvet. Uh, Mm -hmm. It sounds like a name of like a, like a blue velvet character. So Tina, she's probably hanging out at the lounge, uh, the, the lounge where uh, the, uh, the main, the female character who's yes <laughs> name I'm forgetting uh is singing is singing at she's right. having having like a fancy cocktail uh jeremy uh dad wears glasses what what uh david lynch movie should dad wears glasses be in oh dad wears glasses i feel like is in the uh he's like it, okay you know wild at heart <laughs> <laughs> yes okay you know like the gang that like willem defoe's a part of the like gang uh-huh. of dudes who hang out at that <laughs> motel that's that's dad wears sure. glasses is in that gang okay he's in that posse with like with like uh uh john uh fishing with john john you know that guy <laughs> um fucking no. John, what's his name? God damn it. Uh, Fishing with John. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know what Fishing with John is? John Lurie. John Lurie. That's his name. Okay. John Lurie is is a musician who is in Wild at Heart. He's in like, he's in like the motel gang of guys who hang out at the motel. He's also the, the host of Fishing with John, that show where he would take like random celebrities out on like hunting and fishing trips, including Dennis Hopper, Willem Dafoe, Jim Jarmusch, 
Uh, oh, weird. Tom Waits. Yeah. he's he, And Fishing with John ended up on the Criterion. It's like one of the few actual television shows that's on the Criterion collection. I think there was like a thing with uh, a fishing thing with Les Claypool and Dean Ween. <laughs> uh, that was like sounds similar to that. You need to get into John Lurie, Eric. If you haven't if you haven't heard of him or know anything about him, he's he's pretty cool. He ends up in a lot of like Lynch, Jarmusch, like content. He's like he's like either like an he'll usually be like a supporting character in, in a lot of their films. He's not really an actor though. He's like a musician. He's like a Tom okay. Waits kind of guy. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, <laughs> the Wiz. I mean, this is uh, at Haley Viet, Vietstra. Vietstra. Um, hmm. I'm sorry for butchering that. Uh, the Wiz. Uh, let's see. Haley, we're going to get you in... Um, we're gonna get you into Mulholland Drive. There, you're, you're, I think you belong in Mulholland Drive. Uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps you're dining at the uh, the Winkies. Oh, sure. Uh, having brunch at Winkies in Mulholland Drive is where is where uh, the Wiz is. Uh, so, Jeremy, we just got a couple more of these. How, where, do you, where do you think Ma- Marion uh, Heinrich at Holy Yeezy uh, belongs? Well, I'm gonna actually. I think they also belong in Mulholland Drive, but um, okay, they they're just neighbors to uh naomi watts's character in that apartment complex you know that's a nice complex yeah it's a nice complex they're, they're actually doing pretty well for themselves and they have nothing to do with any of the weirdness going on in that other apartment they're just minding their own business but in that world <laughs> right um so this is sleeves and i've been on sleeves uh and bobby uh bobby's podcast the uh, bobby horror picture show sleeves is notoriously a horny guy so i'm keeping him well away from wild at heart good he's not going anywhere near mulholland drive mm-hmm. uh you can forget about twin peaks fire walk with me uh sleeves i'm gonna throw sleeves in uh i was gonna say maybe yeah let's throw sleeves in Eraserhead. great sleeves is the uh Sleeves is maybe another uh, another uh, like guy that like hooks up with uh, uh, Spencer's next door neighbor oh, or across great. the whole neighborhood. Yeah, get yeah. in line, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, kinky Grandma, Jeremy at Kinky Grandma. Love it. Kinky Grandma is notoriously, um, like notoriously capable. So I'm going to say that Kinky Grandma belongs in Lost Highway and she's one of the mechanics who's working on uh, Robert Loja's car. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I think this sounds like a Kinky Grandma thing. Maybe she's also giving (laughs) blowjobs. Is that right? (laughs) Sure. Am I right about Kinky Grandma's uh, brand? (laughs) Hmm. Um... Okay, this seems to be a, a parody account. I was like, I didn't look at the account until just now, and it's very funny. I looked um, at it last night. Uh, Beach Boys okay. get me wet AF. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will do... I'll save the best for you, Jeremy. I'll do Carlos uh, Carlos Felipe Torres. Uh, Carlos likes film, music, art, screenwriting... The man's a screenwriter. I'm going to have to throw him in. Uh, you know what? We haven't put anyone in the Dune universe yet. Let's get oh, Carlos in great. Dune. And he's going to be not a Harkonnen, but like whatever, a treatise, whatever the like 
<laughs> good guys are in that. I love um, that. that. That's where you are, Carlos. And Jeremy, uh, last one. Where, what David Lynch movie does Matt J? Uh, Matthew uh, J, uh, friend of the Mr. show. Matt J. Friend of the podcast, yes. Matthew J. Okay, I thought about Matt. I think I think this does him justice. Okay, so you know that sequence in, in Mulholland Drive where <laughs> where they're like all of the studio execs and producers are giving each other phone calls back and forth yeah they're all trying to connect to like higher up to like get permission to put some actress in that movie i feel like Mm -hmm. matthew J was like he's like waiting for his phone call but they like (laughs) forgot to call him first (laughs) you know like he's in the chain of command somewhere but he's just sitting by his like red telephone that's like in a glass case so that would be so funny <laughs> if, like, through it between those shots, like David Lynch just cut in a guy waiting for a phone call that <laughs> yeah. never, never comes. It never comes. Yeah. Uh, uh, so we love our followers. Thank you so much for uh, for uh, participating in our our weird little Twitter thing. Uh, Real quick, we have a Patreon going on. It's the uh, first week of the month, so that's a great time to sign up for Patreon. Patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Three to four bonus episodes a week, a month. Uh, I almost said a week. Could a you week? imagine, Jeremy? I, if, if, the- <laughs> if we were making a full-time salary off this deal, you bet I could imagine. If... Yes, if we if if you can uh, if enough people subscribe, we, Jeremy and I will uh, will dedicate our lives to to this. Hell to yeah, Tales we from will. The Crypt and yeah, um, yeah. But we're covering uh, we're going through all of Tales from the Crypt, and we are also we have some fun episodes planned, like we just did our uh 10 favorite movies of the decade and uh yeah there's like a whole back catalog it's only five dollars uh so patreon.com slash eric and jeremy and jeremy we're about to dive into the elephant man is it the elephant man or is it just elephant it's it's the elephant man okay um so a little bit about 1980 because this was a while ago uh lennon was shot and killed in new york great (laughs) <laughs> great <laughs> mount st helens erupted oh great good. <laughs> great perfect uh john wayne gacy uh oh sentenced to death <laughs> for the murder of 33 boys and uh young men great uh post-it notes go on sale <laughs> uh we all know this but of course the cost of a mr potato head was four dollars and 77 cents and some of the films uh the shining the empire strikes back Airplane, Raging Bull, Caddyshack, The Blues Bros. Those are some of the big ones. Uh, yeah. Anything to say about the year 1980, Jeremy? I know you weren't weren't quite born yet. I wasn't but. quite born yet. I do. I I feel like 1980 though it would is like the perfect year to have been born. Honestly, I I think yeah. that like growing up. See, like I was born in 1987, so I'm really a child of the 90s, right? Which is cool too. But I feel like being a child of the 80s is even better, because you got to like experience all that 90s stuff as like a teenager, but you got to like experience all the kids stuff in the 80s, which is pretty cool, pretty good. Right. It's like the beginning of children's programming, the beginning of like, also like blockbusters become a big thing, where like, fucking like batman and indiana jones all these great fucking huge triple a films are coming out um yeah i i think i think it's a it's a good decade the the 80s people of course love it 
but you know i i uh g- shout out to the 80s Shout out to the 80s. If you're listening, 1980, yeah. we love you. We love uh, you. Great, great film year, it, it looks like. Uh, so Joseph Merrick is like a real a real guy, the elephant man. Uh, he was uh, just a little bit of background because there are this film isn't like totally historically accurate. Right. Um, he was uh, ex- exhibited at a freak show as uh, elephant man. Lived in, uh, eventually lived in the London hospital where he met Frederick uh, Treves. Uh, became well known in London society. His mother died when he was 11. So there is the background. Uh, there, It's still kind of up for debate about like what exactly uh, Merrick's ailment or ailments were. Um, back in the day, there was like sort of a belief and this is when people were uh, a little bit uh, medical science was like not quite as developed. And there was kind of this idea that because Merrick's mom had this scare with an elephant when she was pregnant with him, mm-hmm. that her like anxiety about that situation caused uh, Merrick's um, condition. Right. Which is, <laughs> you know, obviously not, not true, but uh, I don't know, Eric, we don't, <laughs> No, the science is still trying to figure this out, I think. Yeah. Well, you know what? My my when my mom was pregnant with me, she did almost get trampled by a podcaster. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Uh when my mom was pregnant with me, she uh got almost got trampled by a really handsome guy. Oh, uh, okay. Uh you have a brother? <laughs> So uh, Merrick uh, traveled London and eventually Europe uh, touring, uh, basically as like a a touring freak show, but he was often kicked out of town by authorities for uh, disturbing the peace. Um, In Belgium, Merrick was robbed by his road manager and abandoned. Uh, He eventually made his way back to the London hospital where he stayed for the rest of his life. Uh, So the main sort of... uh, the main theory of like what what uh, I guess diagnosis would be the proper term of Merrick's condition is Proteus syndrome, which is a rare disorder uh, with a genetic background that can uh, cause tissue overgrowth uh, involving all three embryonic lineages. So the uh, we'll talk a little bit about like the makeup in a little bit here, but apparently it's pretty. The makeup in the film is like pretty true to. Um, Merrick's real life uh, appearance. Right. Yeah. I'm looking at a picture of Merrick on Wikipedia, and it's identical to what you see in the film. Like, yeah. Like every bulge is accounted for, as far as right. I can tell, which is pretty, you know, pretty interesting i like that i think that's yeah. like i think that's also really important man this is this movie is fucking crazy uh so i guess his actual death was from asphyxia mm. um and he died of a dislocated neck isn't that yeah crazy? he had like so many fucked up like his his like hip was also fucked up like this guy was like the most unlucky man uh yeah. in existence and i guess he lived about 28 years looks like okay yeah so he was born in 1862 died in 1890 
Um, and there were rumors that uh, Michael Jackson owned his bones. Oh, God. You see, the thing about Michael Jackson is that does not surprise me Yeah, at all. Like, he's like, what do you do when you have all the money in the world? I guess buy up bones. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What else do you do? Uh, so the film, uh, 1980 British American historical drama film, uh, his, uh, who they they call him John Merrick. Uh, his real name is Joseph. Uh, so it stars John Hurt, Anthony Hopkins, and Bancroft. Uh, John Gil- Gilgood is that how you pronounce that? Yeah, feel um, good. A bunch of unknown actors that, uh, no <laughs> yeah. one had ever heard of and it never right. will hear of. Uh-huh. Uh, it was produced by uh, Jonathan Sanger and Mel Brooks, uh, the latter of whom was uh, intentionally left uncredited to avoid confusion from people thinking it might be a comedy. That's a really uh, cool piece of trivia. It is, actually. yeah. Actually, yeah, that, that's really interesting. Mel Brooks intentionally leaving his name off so that people would take the film very seriously. Yeah. Um, the screenplay was adapted by Lynch. Uh, and I'm glad I knew that because I would have been laughing the entire time. I know. <laughs> I I didn't know that, and I was laughing. Uh, Christopher DeVore and Eric Ber- Bergren from uh, Frederick Treves, The Elephant Man, and other uh, reminiscences. Uh, and a uh, study about the Elephant Man. So this was kind of like being chopped around, I believe. And what happened was um, producer Jonathan Stanger uh, received the script from his babysitter. Uh, he worked as uh, Mel Brooks's assistant on High Anxiety, which my favorite Mel Brooks movie, by the way. Uh, is it really? The script. It is, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not like a huge it. Mel Brooks fan, though, to be honest. It's but, one of uh, the ones that people don't often respect. So I know I should watch that. Yeah, it's the dan- the danger field of. Yeah, <laughs> Mel Brooks. yeah. Uh, I thought you were gonna say the Dane Cook, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, he worked as uh, so he he was uh, yeah he worked with Mel Brooks on High Anxiety, and Brooks decided to help finance the film. Uh, and his personal assistant suggested Lynch to uh, to Sanger to to uh, to direct it. So Sanger had like this great meeting with uh, David Lynch, and he was all psyched about having David Lynch uh, direct direct the film. But Brooks hadn't heard of Lynch yet, so they set up a screening of Eraserhead, and uh, Mel Brooks loved it. Which I would love to like watch Mel Brooks watching Me too. <laughs> Eraserhead. Yeah. Uh, David Lynch uh, provided the musical direction and sound design. Uh, score, however, was composed and conducted by John Morris, who also did some of the Mel Brooks stuff like High Anxiety, as well as the theme song for the TV show Coach. <laughs> uh, he And it, the score was performed by the National Philharmonic Orchestra. Uh, let's see here. The film was a critical and commercial success with eight Academy uh, Award nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actor. Uh, people were pretty amazed that uh, it didn't get any recognition for Best uh, Makeup. So the Academy did not have that uh, category at that point. And they actually created Best Makeup. Uh, because of this film, because of that. Yeah. Uh, so the first best makeup 
uh, category award winner was American Werewolf in London the following year. Um, also very good makeup. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Lynch tried to design the makeup himself, but uh, it didn't work out too well. Um, or I think I get the sense when I'm reading about this that Lynch was kind of like uh, under a lot of pressure for this movie because it was like, I mean, he went from Eraserhead to uh, where he was basically spent six years like where he had like his own set that he could like fuck around with as much as he wanted at AFI to like this uh, this Hollywood drama that was being filmed uh, with like a big budget being filmed in, in overseas. Um, yeah, it reminds me a lot of like a, I I feel like a lot of people sophomore film is puts the director like way in over their head. And I think that that was the case here with, with Lynch and an elephant man. I think that he probably like gave him a lot of fucking weird anxieties and like a lot of weird pressures that he didn't know existed because it took him six years to make Eraserhead. I mean, yeah. How long did it take him to make this? Probably like a year. It probably was like a year between shooting and editing. I think, um, yeah. And you see that a lot too. Like, Quentin Tarantino's second, you know, sophomore film is Pulp Fiction, way bigger production than um, Reservoir Dogs. Uh, uh, what's his name? Gus Van Zant's uh, Drugstore Cowboy is a way bigger production than Malinoche, a small yeah. like apartment complex drama. <laughs> so, right. I mean, yeah, this this seems to happen a lot, and I guess some people relish in it more than others. I can't imagine Lynch was very happy working on this film, though. No, I think I read that he was like pretty stressed out um, ab- about it. But many of uh, the events shown in the film uh, never happened. Like uh, Merrick was not really ill-treated by his manager uh, and he was not abducted from the hospital as depicted in the film. Uh, the night watchman uh, that like basically sets up these like private showings of Merrick that that never happened. Um, so yeah. And David Lynch before this was working as a roofer, which <laughs> I thought was just like an interesting, you mean like, you know, as he, after Eraserhead? No. Yeah. After Eraserhead, he was like, we're just working as in a roof as a roofer. And then he was offered the chance to direct this. That's, I don't even know what to do with that information. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's a little bit of the background on, uh, the elephant man. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything um, you want to say before we, I, before we dive into I the I guess plot? I think it's funny that Roger Ebert, who, do you like Roger Ebert? I, I, I never, we never talk about Roger Ebert on this podcast and we probably should start talking about him more. He's kind of a hu- huge deal. I'm pretty indifferent to like all film critics. Yeah. Roger Ebert to me is is a special case but i don't know uh he famously eats shit on all of david lynch's films like he famously like doesn't get them whenever they come out i think and 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 this was no and this to me i don't know is such a straight on narrative it is such like a Mm -hmm. down like a pitch right down the middle plate 
of like filmmaking, but he gives it two out of four stars. And he, what he says about the film is, I kept asking myself what the film was really trying to say about the human condition as reflected by John Merrick. And I kept drawing blanks. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess a lot of other, um, critics describe it as, uh, the work is much more mawkish and moralizing than one would expect from the leading postmodern surrealist filmmaker. And another critic came out and said, unashamedly sentimental. So this Mm. was, I think, I mean, obviously it had a lot of critical and commercial success, but there were detractors along the way too, who found the film to be, I guess that's like a a fancy way of saying the film was a little much. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so we open on, uh, I like how I, by the way, I said I'm indifferent to f- film critics and we have a movie podcast. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't consider I, us critics though at all. No. And I think the critics also like I critics to me. T- okay. Critics today have a, di- of, of, a vastly different place in society that critics used to have i feel like roger ebert comes from a generation where critics were critics sort of walked hand in hand with filmmakers and they were as important as filmmakers to the audience nowadays um i feel like if we just all if we just all together had less criticism in our world (laughs) i'd be much happier um so we get this, uh, I believe the first shot is we see Merrick's mother, like a photo of, of her, um, a framed photo. And we're kind of like panning along, along the face. This is very, this very much reminds me of, uh, like Laura Palmer's picture in Twin Peaks. Like yeah. I will always like kind of go move on onto that picture onto her, like whatever. There's like that one classic picture of her that they, that they show a lot. But, right. um, yeah, and then we have this kind of like montage of Merrick's uh, Mama Merrick and, and a bunch of elephants. Did you have any like interpretation of what was going on in this? No, but I was um, I was interested to see like what kind is this a metaphor? Are we seeing something real here? Is this you know I I guess yeah. I, really I should say we both saw this movie for the first time uh, for this podcast, so. Right. Uh, Frederick Treves, a surgeon at the London Hospital, finds Joseph Merrick in a Victorian freak show in London's East End, where he is kept by uh, Mr. Bites, an alcoholic and sadistic showman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in reality... What did you think of this sequence, this whole like scene of introducing the elephant man? I mean, you kind of like, at least I, I, I just immediately kind of like sympathize with with him yeah. you know i mean it's kind of hard not to yeah it, it was it, a, it made me think like david lynch really loves scenes like this like performative mm. scenes i noticed that like while we were while that scene was playing i was like in almost every single lynch film there is a scene like this where like a person comes out and performs and it's yeah. like it's like a it's like a still shot of the performance happening from a stage like Mulholland Drive famously has the Lolando scene. Eraserhead famously has multiple scenes that take place on on us on that stage. Um, and this one's no different. Where it's like, it's like a, a a guy being like, 
and all deep into the wonders of your mind will come upon you know like like talking like like an insane madman and and having this weird little kid with him it just was it felt i guess i only bring it up because not there's not a ton of this film that feels very lynchian you know so it's like this yeah. is a very lynchian sequence to me Right. Besides those like surreal kind of like sequences, like oh, the one yeah. in the beginning. Yeah, no, there's um, still a ton of stuff, but I mean like it 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 it's such a straightforward film and and I think like the criticism the line of criticism where they say like uh overly sentimental, I don't know if it's overly sentimental. I know it's more sentimental than almost any of David Lynch's other work. So uh I just want to point that out. Yeah. Um yeah, I yeah, he he does do he does really like uh showing like performative. You know, you're going to love uh at the end and this isn't a spoiler at all, but at the end of uh ever I think every episode of the new Twin Peaks series, mm-hmm. we it it ends up the roadhouse uh and there's like a different musical act performing. So oh, there's that's like cool. Nine Inch Nails for one of them, and like the Chromatics, who are really good. Oh, and that's like, great! They're all like really fucking good. Yeah, I was I forgot about um, Twin Peaks. How that has so many performative scenes in it. Like, oh, yeah. the whole red r- red room in general is like a performance type scene. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so let's see. His head is kept uh, hooded, and his owner, uh, who views him as Intellectually disabled is paid by Treves to bring him to the hospital for examination. Uh, Treves presents Merrick to his colleagues and highlights his uh, monstrous skull, which forces him to sleep with his head on his knees. Since if he were to lie down, he would asphyxiate. Uh, What do you think of uh, Anthony Hopkins here as as Treves? Um, I love his performance in this film. I mean, he's so good. Like, and yeah. honestly, everyone is so subtle. Like everyone is doing really good, subtle acting in this. It, it's, it's weird because I, I, I often don't like laud David Lynch's content for like the performances in it. I'm not always like super thrilled. Like there's like very small, there's like very few moments in David Lynch films where I'd be like, Oh, that's really good acting. Um, it's usually about like the, the atmosphere or the, like just like the weird the weird imagery but this was like anthony hopkins is like amazing (laughs) he's like he's really good especially when he's like when he sees uh merrick for the first time like that's a really good scene he's like he's like doing really good freaked out acting (laughs) yes yeah yeah. A lot of people are doing uh, freaked out acting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So on Merrick's return, he is uh, beaten so badly by bites that he has to call Treves for medical help. Uh, Treves brings him back to the hospital. Um, Merrick, I have to say, I've spent some time in this uh, neighborhood, Whitechapel in London. Oh. And it's like a very like... This film does like a really good job of kind of uh, showing it. I mean, I don't know what it was like, you know, during this time period, but it is still kind of like this. Like, it's a very bleak, like, London-y, uh, like what you kind of picture of like a, just like a bleak London, rainy London uh, neighborhood. Right. Uh, Merrick is uh, tended to by uh, Mrs. Mothershead, the formidable matron, as the other nurses are too frightened of him, uh, 
Mr. Car Cargom, the hospital's governor, is against housing Merrick as the hospital does not accept incurables. Uh, yeah, this whole like storyline is uh fucked up. It's like I feel like so like in- incurables. Basically, this guy needs like constant medical attention to like keep living. And this man thinks that because his condition like can never be cured, he shouldn't be in the hospital. It's really weird. It's uh, this guy's like a piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's it's also like it, since it's, this is like a historical drama, it has like that air of like, oh man, like not only is this guy's situation fucked up, but the times were fucked up too. Yeah. Like the idea of like human decency wasn't quite where it is today in 2019 then. So, I, and I feel like that gives like really, I don't know. It's really natural stakes to the entire project, right? Where it's like, if you set like, I don't know, I, this is a movie I don't like, but have you ever seen um, the imitation game with mm. uh, Benedict uh. Cumberbatch? batch <laughs> no it's about the guy no, who made no. the touring test it's about like uh i think his name is john touring um i think his name was john test test oh that's right i'm sorry yeah john test <laughs> yeah. yeah uh but yeah like it he was like he was gay and he had to hide it and he was also like a very famous like person in the working for the united or i guess working for the british army at the time creating like this 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 test for them uh anyways it it like I, what's great about the movie even though the movie's not very good is it like you you really feel the stakes of not only is it like hard to be a gay man working for the military but back then it was even way 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 harder so i guess yeah. you know when considering a project that you want to work on if you want some like stakes immediately without having to do a lot of work just set it in a time where your subject would not be able to exist easily. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so to prove that Merrick can make progress, Treves trains him to say a few uh, conversational sentences. Cargom uh, sees uh, through this ruse, but he, as he is leaving, Merrick begins to recite the 23rd Psalm and continues uh, past the part of the Psalm that Treves has taught him. So Merrick, uh, much like in real life, it sounds like from what I've read, uh, Merrick is like actually very smart. He like loves to read and is like a very intelligent person. Right. Um, Merrick tells the doctors that he knows how to read and has memorized the, uh, the 23rd Psalm because it is his favorite. Uh, Cargon permits him to stay and Merrick spends his time practicing conversation with Treves and building a model of a cathedral that he sees from his window, um, which is symbolic in some way, I think. Right? <laughs> I was it like, has, I'm it has sure. to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, okay, so the scene where, you know, he, he's basically being tested from by Cargom and, you know, G- what's his name? Treves, Treves. He like yeah. They like coach. He's like coached Merrick on like how to like what to say, and he like keeps saying that like he's just very kind. Like Treves is very kind, and then Cargom's the kind of like, 
all right, well, you clearly coached him on this and like walks out and then he starts yeah. reciting the psalm and then the psalm, like he like, starts going past the part that Treves taught him. That is like, that is a fucking tearjerker of a scene. It's, it's great. Yeah. yeah. And like, I think this was like one of the first moments to, I realized like, man, fucking David Lynch He's, I don't know why I put him in this box of like, okay, David Lynch does his David Lynch thing, but no, mm-hmm. just like a, just like a good painter, just like Picasso, David Lynch can also do like a ama- like amazing Oscar level, like sequences, like scenes and fucking like making a film that is like as worth, you know, like a Tom Stoppard like film or like something from like, I don't know, like a, like a, uh, like a Spielbergian type sequence. I, I, I just, I just thought that was like really cool that he like makes, he's it was like, it was like, wow, this does not feel like a David Lynch film at all. It's because David Lynch is like such a good filmmaker. He just chooses to work in this style, you know, that we often see, but he is totally capable yeah. of making something that is like something my mom would enjoy, you know? Right. Yeah, that that's one thing, and I'll. This is kind of like a spoiler, uh, for but ultimately, like who cares? But like about how I feel about this movie is I I don't I don't love this movie. I I I, I do really really appreciate it, mm-hmm. and I mostly appreciate it for like what you were just talking about. Like this is uh, there's kind of David Lynch would have after this he gets some some offers and like he you know he does Dune. Uh, and he ha- has a chance to direct a Star Wars film, and uh, <laughs> he's kind of at this point in his career where he can. It could have gone like a bunch of different ways, yeah. and I'm really glad that he kind of did this drama next because a I think Eraserhead. I mean it 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 is a drama in a way, um, just much more surreal, uh, and b this kind of informs like what I love about like a lot of the rest of his, his, his films is he's really good at making you connect with, with characters and, and sympathize with the ones that you're supposed to be sympathizing with. Um, I also wanted to point out, uh, this is kind of like one of the first great moment, like John Hurt moments Yes, in the film. He's fucking awesome. And I forgot to mention this, uh, this little tidbit, but after the day of shoot, after the first day of shooting, when Sir John Hurt was exposed for the first time to the inconveniences of having his makeup applied, uh, which took a very long time, mm-hmm. uh, he called his wife saying, "I think they finally managed to make me hate acting." <laughs> <laughs> that what sounds I, so f- relatable. <laughs> what I love about this, though, and we know uh, we didn't mention this, but Lynch wanted. Uh, why am I blanking on uh, on his name? He oh, his uh, Jack Nance. Ja- yeah, he wanted Jack Nance to be the Elephant Man, um, but but uh, Paramount or whoever like already had some people in mind, I guess. But uh, but yeah, you you kind of like look at uh, you know anyone could have maybe like physically played uh, with could have physically played the elephant man with like that level of uh makeup but think about like how fucking hard you have to work to like portray the level of emotion that john hurt 
show like shows like through that character like with all that makeup and shit you still like sympathize with this character and i kind of like fell in love with this character i was like this yeah this character is like so fucking like like beautiful and 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 you you empathize with them like so much and a lot of that comes from her performance uh so i just wanted to mention that real quick because it's really good it's very um, soft. Like his performance, his reading of the Elephant Man is very soft, very mild mannered. Yes. I wonder if David Lynch, John Hurt, any of these people saw the play, and I wonder how closely this film is to the play. How close it is to the play? Oh, or, sure, because there was yeah. yeah, there was that play happening just the year. It was like production. Before. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think they. I think the there was a lawsuit about like the name or something. They they got sued for using the name or something. Oh I yeah, know. I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah. I don't know. I I I know that I thought the film was based off the play. Like the screenplay was kind of based off that that play. But I don't. Maybe I maybe I didn't read that. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Merrick has uh, tea with Treves and his wife, uh, and is so overwhelmed by their kindness. This is so, like, I felt like just, like, this movie, like, made me, uh, it was, like, very introspective for me. I was like, fuck, am I, like, as good a person as, like, John Merrick is? Like, this guy is, like, so grateful for, like, simply uh, just, like, being invited to, like, hang out with someone. You know what I mean? Like. He 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 uh he shows them his mother's picture. Uh he believes he must have been a disappointment to his mother, but hopes she would be proud to see him with his uh lovely friends. Um Merrick begins to take uh guests in his room, including uh the actress Madge Kendall, who mm. introduces him to the work of Shakespeare. Um Merrick yeah. quickly becomes I think that um that scene of them where he shows the picture of his mom, like Anne Bancroft is doing really good acting in that scene also. Yes. Like she, like she's kind of being the audience surrogate in a way in that, like as soon as um, he says something to the effect of like, maybe my mom would learn to love me just as I am. She just starts bawling out of control. Like just like, yeah. And it's kind of like what the audience wants to do also <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Merrick quickly becomes uh, an object of curiosity to high society. And Mrs. Mothershead expresses concern that he is still being put on display as a freak. This is like a really fascinating turn of events to me is like Merrick is kind of just like, yes, he's like getting all of this, you know, medical attention now. Um, but he's, He's still, and he's, you know, like, now he's involved in high society, but he's still being treated like a freak. Yeah. Just in a different a different way. Uh, so, Treves begins to question the morality of his actions. Uh, meanwhile, a night porter named Jim starts selling tickets to locals who come at night to gawk at the elephant man. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great scene is watching Anthony yeah. Hopkins sitting in that chair while Anne Bancroft, his wife, Mrs. Robinson... Cuckoo-cachoo, um, or goo goo yeah. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> that scene where she's he's like, what have I done? Am I a good man, or am I a bad man? Like, that whole, mo- that whole like, yeah. sequence, it was really great. 
if, if for no other reason, the sound design is amazing in that. It, it has like that eraser head open, open wind sound or like that hollow echoey, like distort, this distorted, like wind. I, I, that's the only way I can describe it, but it, it's very Lynchian in that moment yeah. of him sort of reconciling with what he did while you hear that, like, like that growing, like uh whatever white noise or whatever you yes. want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Um, I have those moments of reconciliation where I sit alone in a chair and ask myself, <laughs> what have I done after every podcast? We <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need like yeah. every time we schedule a recording, I have to book like an hour afterwards mm-hmm. to just sit and think about my, think my about choices. what you've done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the issue of Merrick's uh, residence is uh, challenged at a hospital council meeting, uh, but he is guaranteed permission, a uh, permanent residence by command of the hospital's royal patron, Queen Victoria, who sends words with their daughter-in-law, Alexandra. Uh, I liked this. This was this was. Uh, I liked the way that this whole uh, scene was kind of like shot and acted. Uh, and also just the con- like where like what happens in the story um it's nice yeah. uh however uh, Merrick is soon kidnapped by uh, bites during one of jim's uh late night showings uh bites leaves england and takes merrick okay so by the way let's talk about this uh this late night showing i guess is what wikipedia ca- calls it uh but the, you know, uh, fucking impromptu freak show that the, like, Night Watchman or whatever does um, in, in Merrick's room, where they come in and they, like, destroy his room and they, like, make these poor women, like, kiss uh, kiss uh, Merrick and yeah. show him a mirror and all this shit. Uh, what did you, what did you think of this whole situation? I thought it was so funny. <laughs> really? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I I was like, yeah, no, it's 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 absolutely awful. This this film is really harsh. It's yeah. really it's really harsh. It's got that like I don't know, um to compare it to maybe a Stanley Kubrick film, it's got it's got kind of Clockwork Orange vibes to it where Yeah. And I guess maybe just cuz of like how British it is also. But it's very like I don't know old old London bullies. Come here, let me give you yeah. a, a kiss on your knickers. You know stuff like that. Um, you know, a, a classic kiss on your knickers situation. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know the our UK listeners know exactly what we're yeah. talking about. No, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, I felt it to be mean. It's it's a very mean film, which is I think why it's so affecting emotionally because yeah. Uh, Merrick is so not mean. Merrick, Merrick is so grateful, even though he lives in in a in a bully's world. Yep. Um, yeah, it's like it's pretty brutal. It was pretty. It was pretty hard to watch. Um, uh, bites. Uh, so yeah, bites takes Merrick on the road as a circus attraction once again. Uh, witness reports to Treve, who confronts Jim about what he has done, uh, and Mother said fires him. Uh, Merrick is once again forced to be an attract- attraction, uh, but during a show in Belgium, Merrick, who is weak and dying, collapses, causing a, a drunken bites to lock him in a cage and leave him to die. 
Um, you know, I don't think it's good to like kidnap uh, someone with a deformity like this and like make them be in a freak show. But if I were to do that, right, I would probably like treat them well and make sure they're healthy. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like <laughs> he looks like in such bad condition when he's on when he's on stage. It's I don't know. It's, yeah, it, it's a, it, it's gross. Bites is a real villain in this, and I yeah. love that. They play him up as so bad, only to have sort of the. I guess we are. I don't, we're not really spoiling it because this scene has already happened, but only to have that crushing realization from Anthony Hopkins' character that him and Bites are very similar, and that, um, right? Sure, Treves looks different and treats him different to his face, but all roads lead to the same goal, which is profiting off of his deformity. Exactly. Um, so Merrick manages to escape from Bites uh, with the help of his fellow freak show uh, attractions. Upon returning to London, uh, Jeremy, by the way, you ever been in a freak show? No, have you? Yeah, I did improv for two years. Oh, <laughs> that's my boy. Uh, upon returning to London, uh, he is harassed through Liverpool Street Station uh, by several young boys and accidentally knocks down a young girl. Uh, man, this was rough. Uh, Merrick is chased, unmasked, and ca- uh, cornered by an angry mob. Mm-hmm. Uh, he cries, I am not an elephant. I am not an animal. I am a human being. I am a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, before collapsing. Yeah. Uh, Policemen return Merrick to the hospital in Treves. Uh, he recovers some of his health, but is dying of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. I guess that that scene in the in the public bathroom where they all chase him in there—that's probably yeah. the most iconic scene in the film, right? Yeah. You would say that's that like the line, money shot. Yeah. That's like the Oscar performance <laughs> there. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the money shot. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the <laughs> Elephant Man money shot where you're supposed to be like, yeah, and I thought it was um, excellent. Like, Hurt is just so good yeah. and delivers that little piece of dialogue so well. Um, Treves and Mothershead uh, take Merrick uh, to see one of... Miss Kendall's shows at the theater, and Kendall dedicates the performance to him. Uh, Proud Merrick receives a standing ovation uh, from the audience. I don't know if I could see that, like, totally see this through my fucking, like, tears streaming <laughs> down my <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I will say, I never cry uh, pretty much at anything. Cried during this movie. Uh, oh, my I gosh. Twice, I think you'd be... I think it'd be weirder if you didn't. Yeah. Um, back at the hospital, uh, Merrick thanks Treves for all he has done and completes his church model. Uh, he lies down on his back in bed, uh, <laughs> imitating a sleeping child uh, like a picture on his wall, and dies in his sleep. Merrick is consoled by a vision of his mother, who quotes, uh, "Lord Tennyson's Nothing Will Die." Yeah, and uh, that's it. And then uh, we kick into. I know you want to leave me, but I refuse. <laughs> Which I thought was very weird credit. Yeah. Uh, Somebody once choice. told me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In uh, the 80s. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I believe the quote, too, from Tennyson is, never nothing will die, which is such a great oh, okay. line. Of, well, no, no, I mean, no, no, no. The, the, the poem is called Nothing Will Die. 
but I believe like um when you the hear line, her say it, yeah. the line is uh never nothing. Yeah. Never wow. nothing will die. That's a great that's such such a great line. Not just because it's a double negative and it's confusing. <laughs> yeah. But it's uh it's just it's just really great. I'm gonna read just a tiny bit of it to close out the plot segment. When will the stream be weary of flowing under my eye? When will the wind be a weary of blowing over the sky? When will the clouds be a weary of fleeting? When will the heart be a weary of beating? Oh, na- and nature die. Never, oh, never nothing will die. The stream flows, the wind blows, the cloud fleets, the heart beats, nothing will die. Very mm. good. Very good. Um... Yeah, so Jeremy, I don't what get do you, poetry. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Uh, uh, no, I don't get it. But uh, <laughs> I, I do, I do really like, I, I like poetry though. Sounds uh, good. <laughs> um, my friend Matt's a really good poet. He's he's like the only. Whenever anyone asks me, which this never comes up, but like whenever people ask me who my favorite po- the poet is, I will say my friend Matt. Mm-hmm. And send them uh, some of his poems, and they're always like, "Oh, this is like really good, actually." Yeah. So I like know a guy who's very good at poetry, but I, I, yeah, I don't. It's like ballet, like we talked about in in our last episode, uh, where we were talking about Killer's Kiss. Right. Uh, it's just one of those art forms that I don't mm-hmm. uh, quite understand. Basically, but, anything that is considered high art, we don't get at all. <laughs> no, we're idiots. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Jeremy, what do you uh, what do you think of the Elephant Man? Um, so I think we're gonna differ on this a bit, which is which is interesting because we usually fall pretty similarly on these films. I I actually thought this film was incredible, and um, I thought that every part of it was really well done and well acted and well performed. I thought the black and white was like just fucking amazing. I thought it looked really good. The makeup was amazing. The sound design and music was... I mean, like, I'm going to say this was nearly a perfect film for me. Like, I think the only thing I would have preferred is maybe a little less melodrama. But I don't know how you do that with this kind of story. But this kind of story is, like, right up my alley. Like, I I love... This is going to sound weird, but, like, I hate bullies. But I love to watch, like, either bullies get what's coming to them... Is like one of my favorite film devices or um, I love to see like people who are being bullied get something like that's good come to them. Um, And I, and this is like a film that is just that, that, that is this, the film. And I think um, this is a, a really like this and Dune I think are really interesting pieces of David Lynch's filmography for me because they're both, and maybe a straight story would fall in this too. Like this is David Lynch, like making a studio film, like a, like not, it's not necessarily a Hollywood film. It's like a, it's, it is like a, it is like a big budget production film. And I think he really fucking killed it. And I almost, and I, it almost makes me wish he made more of these. And not that he can't, but he is getting a little older, and I wonder how many more films David Lynch is actually going to make. But, like, this makes me wish he made more, I guess, like, 
accessible films. I don't. I wouldn't trade in any of the avant-garde experimental art pieces he he made. You know, the Lost Highways and the Mulholland Drives. I wouldn't trade those in. But I think that this is like, this is so good. And like, in my opinion, these films, these kinds of films are still being made today. They're just being made by like way less capable filmmakers. So that's my, that's my take. What do you, what do you think of Elephant Man? Um, I, so I, I personally don't, uh, love this movie merely because this is like not, this was like, like too emotional for me to be honest with you. This is like, (laughs) like not like, um, uh, what I love about David Lynch is he like challenges my, uh, my, my brain and, and like fucks with, the way that you perceive things and, and uh, he's very funny. And a lot of that stuff like isn't in this movie. That being said, I do think this is like, like you said, like probably a perfect or almost perfect movie. Like it's pretty like, it's almost like objectively a very good film. Uh, And I, yeah, I, I just to go back to what I was saying before, like I love the the fact that David Lynch kind of went this like drama route, uh, and then uh, you know Dune, uh, which I'm fuck this and Dune were like two of the movies I hadn't seen yet, and I'm so stoked to watch Dune uh, for our next one, uh, for our next David Lynch episode. But uh, yeah, no, I I mean the performances are incredible. Uh, there's. I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. It's just really a really good uh, movie. Um, there's, it's kind of interesting. So before we didn't talk about this, but after Eraserhead, Lynch was trying to get this project uh, going, which he has still not um, obviously made. Has, has not. It does not exist yet. Called Ronnie Rocket. Right. Uh, do you know about this? I do only from interviews where he's, he mentions it a lot, especially early yes. on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was like really trying to get this going and I think he's still trying to, to get it going, but it stars, uh, uh, the, the short gentleman from, from Twin Peaks. Uh, and he wasn't able to get financial backing for it. And he kind of this you know, a big Hollywood opportunity came along, uh, for him. And I'm glad that it happened. And I, I, I really do appreciate this film a lot. I just, I, I don't know if I see myself like ever watching it again. Cause for it was sure. like fucking sure. brutal. Yeah, like no, it was like I. so hard for me to get through emotionally Yeah, where I was just like, man, I, and I guess that's, I mean, if that's, if that's what this film was supposed to do, which it seems like it is, it's like, well, you know, it's it 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 did its job very well, and it's uh, I do love just kind of like the the just the overall sort of like uh theme of it uh about uh you know I'm like a base level it's like a don't judge a book by its cover kind of thing, but it's also like um you know uh uh fucking Merrick is like perceived as this like monster throughout this movie just because of the way he looks when like truly almost everyone else around him even Treves to a certain point is like the real monster in the story uh and I think that that's like a really like beautiful and interesting and like sort of like simple theme that like isn't really uh done in in 
films and like storytelling a lot. So I don't know. I just thought it was really good. Um, hard to like be funny on this episode because it's like such a dark uh, and uh, dramatic uh, thing. But but yeah. So next week we will uh, be will be diving back into Kubrick's filmography, um, which is the killing, right? Oh yeah, uh, good question. Great. We question. did Killer's Kiss. We did Killer's Kiss. I I think the killing does come next. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we'll we'll do the killing unless we're wrong about that. But I th- I'm pretty sure it is the killing. <laughs> uh, let, let's just check real quick. Let's just make sure right. we're on. Uh, <laughs> I want I want to be. I I don't want anyone to watch. Yes, it is the killing. Okay, so we're almost. And so with Kubrick, this is very interesting and very exciting. We're almost out of the woods with like. Kubrick's super early work that is like n- looks nothing like his his later work. I think after the killing, yeah. we get Paths of Glory. Paths of Glory is like the first. I would say the killing kind of counts, but I think Paths of Glory is like the first. This is a Stanley Kubrick film. Like this is a fucking Kubrick movie. This has all the kind of fucked up things that you would come to expect. Sort of the social commentary, the cinematography, just like the brutal, um, yeah, the brutal filmmaking, unflinching auteur shit that 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 you would, that you come to love about Kubrick. I believe Paths yes. of Glory is pr- probably the first film like that. But The Killing is also very good and. Uh, and yeah, it's it's uh, it's one of my favorites. So, yeah, both of our Kubrick episodes have been really good. Paths of uh, uh, Fear and Desire is like pretty rough as a film, but our podcast about it is really good. Yeah, and Killer's uh, Kiss, I feel this is similar too. Yeah. Oh, and for the killing, Eric, I don't even know if I've told you this, but I think I have a guest lined up for the killing. So. Oh, really? So uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. Okay. Uh, is it Vivian Kubrick? Okay, it's actually David Lynch's daughter. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and we'll have Vivian Kubrick on for our uh, Mulholland Drive episode. Yes, yes, both of them yeah. are very big fans of the other person's dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, f- uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show, we do bonus uh, episodes almost every week. We're tra- covering Tales from the Crypt right now. You can uh, find out about all the... And you can also... Uh, there's like certain tiers on our Patreon where you can uh, tell us to do an episode about anything or uh, come on the show or just kick in a dollar a month to help us with the many costs that come along with uh, doing a podcast. Uh, you can find all that at patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. And uh, did you have anything you wanted to plug, Jeremy? No, not at all. Just, uh, yeah, sign up for the Patreon. Follow me on Twitter at Ocarina of Crime. Follow the show on Twitter at ChuckyRules420. And that's it. Yeah. And uh, with that, I will say our uh, classic sign-off line. Norma, I'll see you in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs>